Congregation, let us consider what we find in the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 51. Lord's Day 51. Which is the fifth petition? Answer, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Let us be pleased for the sake of Christ's blood, not to impute to us poor sinners our transgressions, nor that depravity which always cleaves to us, even as we feel the evidence of thy grace in us, that it is our firm resolution from the heart to forgive our neighbor. So far, praying for forgiveness is the theme tonight. Praying for forgiveness with the help of the Lord, three thoughts. The need for forgiveness. Secondly, the purpose of forgiveness. And in the third place, practicing forgiveness. So the prayer for forgiveness, the need for forgiveness. Secondly, the purpose of forgiveness. And in the third place, how to practice forgiveness. Congregation, we need repentance and we need forgiveness and we need true faith. We need the work of the Holy Spirit in us. And by nature, there is no room for God's grace. If you don't see your offenses, you don't see your sins, you don't see that we have made that gulf between God and us, we have no urgency. We don't really pray from the heart. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. So how necessary to know the need of forgiveness. Let me illustrate that. Now, some compare getting to know God with dating a person. You've heard it before. You meet a man, you meet a woman, something clicks, you're interested in the person, you ask the person for another date, you talk a lot, you speak after each other, and something grows in you. You begin to really appreciate the other person. You begin to think about, what about eventually marrying the person? And you begin to be interested. You begin to long for the person, to long to talk, and you can't miss the person anymore. So there's that urgency and there is that, that love and that, that need for that person. That love becomes stronger in course of time. And then he proposes and she accepts, and they are engaged, and they marry, and they got to know each other. Just not dramatic, they just got to know each other slowly and gently, and they love one another for who they are. Some people say that's exactly how it goes with conversion. And I don't believe a word of that. There's something different. You know that relationship between God and his people is also a relationship, I admit that. And there's something growing, that's right. And there's love, absolutely. And they can't miss the Lord, that's right. So there are many similarities, correct. But you know, when young people start dating each other, it's not so that he or she at the coffee table or in the restaurant, begins to accuse, right? You don't say, I remember that you did this and said that. I need to talk about it first. No. You don't know anything about that most of the time. You have no past history. You have nothing that you, that you need to talk over and that you have to solve because there is nothing. There's nothing in between you. It's just getting to know one another. There's no obstacle. There's no problem. 
There's nothing you have to remove. And that is different with the Lord. Then the Lord begins to dry you, and the Lord begins to reveal himself to you. Sure, the Lord shows you that he is a loving God, that he is a good-doing God. You see that, you believe that, but there's also something else. You have sinned against him, and God has not forgotten about that. It comes, I say the reverence, it comes on the table. It needs to be talked over. It needs to be solved. It needs to be confessed. Thousands and thousands of individuals trust in the Lord and appreciate the Bible and go to heaven and have no problem and they always believe in the Lord Jesus and he saves them and he is good for them. But they have never wept one tear about their sins. They don't know the problem. They don't, know, they don't see what, what's needed. They don't see the need for forgiveness, or it is at least very shallow. And thousands and thousands are surprised when they are coming before the throne of God, and the Lord would say, I don't know you. Ye that work iniquity. And something else, it's not only that there is a problem or a huge problem that needs to be solved. It's not, not only that sin that is in between. It is also the level, right? Young people knowing each other and getting, getting to know each other better, they're on the same level. It's not so that the one is a high majesty and the one is just something small and unworthy. No. They respect one another. They are on the same level. They understand each other. They, are, they can relate to each other. And it's not so that she looks up unto him in awe. He is just everything. and so high. She thinks the world of him. He is almost divine. And she feels nothing. That is so unhealthy. Right? If that would be the case. But in the relationship with the Lord, the Lord let you feel it. He's God. You are not. And He's holy. You are not. That you have offended an almighty God, a holy God, full of majesty and glory, that He has created the universe out of nothing. Out of nothing. All things. So that means that you begin to become a God-fearing person. God-fearing person, meaning there is that high majesty you fear, have respect for. Here it is from the Bible, that we have left the Lord and our spiritual harlots and adulterers and idolaters. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within and defile the man. We need to know that. We may not turn, our, turn, turn away from that. We may not turn a blind eye to that. We must realize it. And in a way, the Lord is rubbing that in. May I say that way? So there's real ladies now. That's you. That's you. I, I warn you. I, I invite you. I call you. I'm a forgiving God. I'm a good doing God. But yet I have to, the Lord has to say that. 
who we are. Or Romans 3, you're familiar with that chapter, I suppose. As it's written, there is none righteous. No, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. Nobody is seeking. Nobody is seeking. It's a sin. They all gone out of the way. God's way, they just left God's way. They together become unprofitable. An unprofitable person. His life has no purpose. His life is senseless, unprofitable. There is none that do it good. No, not one. You know when I'm saying this, preparing this, I think maybe some people say this, please stop it. It's so negative. I, I can't stand to hear that. I don't know if I can, can, can tolerate that for a long time. And yet, I can't back off because it's for your welfare to be honest together. And if there is no honesty in the relationship, no honesty between God and you, if the things are not dealt with properly, if things are festering, and it will never be a good, a healthy, real relationship. So you have to get through that. Is conversion then always so dramatic? Usually it is. There are conversions like John the Baptist. He was converted before, before he was born. So that's exceptional. But yes, Usually it is dramatic. And the Lord doesn't like it when people are swiping the dirt under the carpet. When I wrote it down, I thought, do young people understand still that example? You know, I remember with my grandma that there was um, kind of a floor, a wooden floor, and uh, in the middle was the, the middle was the rug. So not all the way to the to the walls. And then, then they had to clean up, no vacuum cleaners. They had to, to swipe the broom and they put it on the corner. And then what you could do is lift up the carpet, the rug, and just swipe it all under there and just put the carpet down. And your mother or your oma would say that you did a fantastic job because they can't see any dirt anymore. So that is the expression to put it under the carpet and to cover it up, to make it invisible. The Lord does not like it that way. The Lord sees it and knows it. And Lord, if you may use the same example, is lifting up the carpet. And says, see, you just try to forget about it, and you try to get rid of it, and you try to ignore it. There it is. And that is sin. It's sin against the Almighty God. So therefore, we need to be honest with, 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 with each other. As you also read in Jeremiah 3, Go and proclaim these words towards the north and say, Return thou backsliding Israel, saith the Lord, and I will not cause mine anger to fall upon you. So return, my anger will not fall on you, for I am merciful, saith the Lord. Only, only, Acknowledge thine iniquity that thou hast transgressed against the Lord thy God and scattered thy ways to the strangers under every green tree and ye have not obeyed my voice, saith the Lord. Do you hear that? So I read in Jeremiah 3 a pro proclamation 
return, return. I will not cause my anger to fall on you. I am merciful. See, did you hear that? In that context, the Lord says, only acknowledge your transgressions. Something to think about. Also today. Also tonight for yourself when you close the day and you think of that awful thing we heard today about the death of one of our members. And I would say, leave for the Lord and say, Lord, I want that carpet to be open, to, to be lifted up. Lord, show me. Let me make, make, make me honest. I want to deal with it. I just don't want to just live on. This is a good Sunday to begin to seek the Lord and to confess your sins. And I know you cannot make that true within yourself, but just begin with your mouth. Begin to say with your understanding. Just list the sins you remember before the Lord and confess them. Surely, Jeremiah 31, verse 19, Surely, after that I was turned, I repented. And after that I was instructed, I smote upon my thigh. I was ashamed, yet even confounded, because I did bear the reproach of my youth. We should not cover it up. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. See? The prodigal son the prodigal son also came back, right? Make me one of thy servants. I'm not worthy to be called thy son. So it was also an expression of that openness. Or 1 John 1, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So let me now ask, are you still sweeping the dirt under your rug? Someday the Lord will expose it, so it's better to deal with it now. Do not forget about it. And let me just mention two sins that you may have to check for yourself. The sin of watching pornography. Right? It's so common today. It is even so that young people are not only texting each other, but sexting each other. It is probably way worse than the elderly, elderly people know what's going on. Are you involved in that? Are you fighting it and confessing your sin? David tried to sweep the sin against the seventh commandment under the carpet as well. And what the blessing and the Lord discovers, sinners, discovers, takes the cover off, discover it. Or is it even worse? Are you not even ashamed of it anymore? I understand that among young people, it can be so common that they just know it from one another. It's not, not, not a secret anymore. It is open one. They invite each other to look at this and look at that. Repent ye, repent ye, why would ye die? The second sin I'd like to mention is even worse. And many shrugged off, and many don't think it's that bad. Or worse, it seems to be the norm. You might wonder about that heinous common sin is. It is a sin of unbelief. If you're hiding that sin, downplaying it, Maybe defending yourself, that's quite something. John 3, verse 18 and 36, 
He that believeth on him is not condemned. Right? He that believeth in the Lord Jesus is not condemned. No. But he that believeth not will be condemned. No. He that believeth not is condemned already. The Bible says. Why? Well, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So that's honest. He that believeth on him is not condemned. He that believeth not is condemned already because he has not believed. So not believing in the Lord Jesus is a heinous sin. It's, uh, it means, I don't trust thee. I don't rely on thee. I don't need thee. I just walk the other way. I have no use for thee. That's so serious. And also in other places, read about that. Also in John 3, the last verse, right? The last verse of John 3, we also read the seriousness of that sin of unbelief. I will find it for you. John 3. He that believeth on the Son has everlasting life. Right. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life. Shall not even see it, not taste it. But the wrath of God abideth on him. So God condemns the sin of unbelief. Condemns it. God does not just dislike it or not appreciate it. It is detestable. It is something the Lord hates. Not trusting in God is refusing the common work of the Spirit. It's making God a liar. It's spiritual adultery. It is preferring things over God. It is rejecting Jesus. You see, I'm trying to lift up the tip of the carpet. I want you to have a look at that. Because maybe you have that tendency to say, ah, I know. That's, that's, that's so common. We all do that. What a blessing when sinners begin to see this and when the urgency is born to ask for forgiveness. Forgiveness for sins against the Ten Commandments, for, for disobedience to the gospel, for sins of omission and commission, for sin in deeds and words and thoughts. So do you realize that we are, we are facing the judge, a good-doing and patient God who will be extremely angry with us if we are not prepared. In short, our sins need to be acknowledged and confessed as we need to know them. Brings to the second thought. The purpose of forgiveness. <clears throat> Our sins, our debt, can be forgiven. But why would we enjoy that? What's the purpose of that? Why is forgiveness so necessary? We need to know the sins in order to have it forgiven, but why do we want it forgiven? When you were in an accident, you were rear-ended, and it's not your fault, are you happy to hear that? Are you happy to hear you're not your fault? You don't have to pay the deductible? Of course you're happy to hear that. Why? Saves your money. Saves your money that you're acquitted, that you don't have to pay. So why do people want, want forgiveness of sins? They want to be delivered from guilt and guilt feelings. 
Some people are just constantly bothered by sin feelings. The sins of people stood for things, flashbacks. It would be so nice if you could be delivered from that, right? Free from Satan, free from hell, free from condemnation, and much more. But there's something more important. Because if we receive forgiveness of sins, then we may treasure God and find God there. And that's the real thing. To be connected, to be reconciled with God. That's millions of times greater than forgiveness. Forgiveness has a purpose to bring to God. What is happier, to walk out of hell or to walk into heaven? See? So there's a negative side to forgiveness that you don't have to pay and you don't have to do this and you don't have to go to prison and you don't have to. But forgiveness has, 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 has also another side, something positive to restore, to heal, to bring to God. So what is forgiveness? In the Bible we find at least seven keywords which can be each translated in more than one way. Let me just give you a few examples of what forgiveness is like. Your sins being blotted out to be atoned for, to be justified, to pass by, to have your sins cast into the sea, to have your sins be put back, put behind someone's back, to be delivered, to be set free, to be saved. So there are two sides to forgiveness. It's the cancellation of the debt and receiving the righteousness of Christ. The cancellation of the debt, you're not a sinner anymore. You don't have you don't have debt anymore. But also to give something positive, to give the righteousness of Christ. So is forgiveness the best a sinner can receive? No. Forgiveness takes the obstacles away. It's a means to see God, to have communion with our Maker, to be loved by the Lord, to be brought to God is a thousand times better than forgiveness. You know, sometimes people have done awful things and they're constantly saying, I want it forgiven. I want her to forgive me. I want him to forgive me. And often it is just selfishness. They don't understand what the other went through. And they all, only for themselves want forgiveness. And they, they say, uh, is she still thinking about that? Is it still bothering them? Just forgive me. But the real forgiveness is to restore for that purpose to restore. One of the most impressive texts regarding the purpose of forgiveness I find is 1 Peter 3. For Christ also has once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that purpose, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, being quickened by the Spirit. See? So Christ came to save people, he suffered for sin, in order to bring us to God. That is the most tender thing there is, to have access to God. 
for through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. So question, since when is there forgiveness? I mean, at what point are God still unforgiven? In, in the beginning of their spiritual life, or the end, or way before, or from eternity, or where does forgiveness start? You may say forgiveness starts in eternity. I don't think so. I've never heard of that. I've never heard of being eternally forgiven. It's not in the Bible. It's just a lie. Nobody is from eternity forgiven. Then people have not, don't even exist. They have no sin yet. They will sin, but they have not sinned yet. So how can they be forgiven? Sin forgiven from eternity is nonsense. Chosen from eternity. Yes. Chose from eternity to eventually work that salvation in the heart at a certain point in time, with certain means, absolutely. Nobody sees God himself. The Lord is first, and the Lord has chosen people to save them from eternity. But they are not forgiven yet. So when, do they, when are they forgiven then? Someone would say, when the Lord Jesus paid the price on the cross, or when he was raised from the dead and received the, received the receipt of his payment. Well, that the Lord Jesus paid the price and he was acquitted, and in him the church was, but that's more the foundation of it than the reality of it. Because even after the Lord Jesus died, then a, an, an, an elect is born. Do you know what I'm saying? Do you know what I'm saying? If someone is born, and an elect is born, he is still a child of wrath. That's what the Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians 2. Among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were, by nature, the children of wrath, even as others, like anyone else. Because Paul was born as a child of wrath. He was chosen from eternity, he was born as a child of wrath. So are God's children loved from eternity? They're loved in God's decision. But they have not been born yet, have not sinned yet, and are born under the wrath uh, as, as a child of wrath. So when is the moment of Forgiveness. When is the moment that someone has no sin anymore? The, the point that if someone dies, he, he goes to heaven. That's the moment of regeneration. The moment that the Lord begins to view that person in a different way. He was chosen, she was chosen, but he, she was a child of wrath. And then at a certain point in time, the Lord had decided upon that, that child of Ra becomes a child of him. And then from God's side, the sin is forgiven. From God's side. The person probably will not feel that. Will not feel forgiven. He may be crying. Lord, be merciful. I'm a sinner. There's that love for the Lord, the longing for the Lord, like a heart bending for the waterworks. Right? 
See, the person probably does not feel forgiven. But if that person is regenerated, then then it'll be well. Now let's be careful here. Because I will never say to anyone crying and looking and being seriously minded, I will never tell the person, even though if I would think so, that the Lord is working in his heart or heart. I have no right to say that. And I might be completely wrong. Because sometimes people are seriously minded and cry for their sins, but it never comes so far that they begin to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no faith. No faith, no true saving faith. And that's what we need. When someone believes in the Lord Jesus Christ with all his heart, then that person has a reason to believe that his sins are forgiven and not earlier. Because who has the Son has life. Who does not have the Son has no life. So we should not tell them that they are converted, even not if we think that it sounds fantastic and sounds precious. Justification is by a true faith in Christ only. But if it is the saving work of God, the Lord will reveal Christ and work faith in them. That's his promise. So how is it possible? How can God forgive? As the hypercatechism says, be pleased for the sake of Christ's blood not to impute to us poor sinners our transgressions, nor the depravity which always cleaves to us. So the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, for the sake of Christ's blood, the Lord will not impute the sins unto them. He will forgive them. That means that the Lord is the father of his people, that they are his, his children, that there is no condemnation for them that are in Christ Jesus, that they are justified by faith only and have peace with God, peace with God, because he redeemed Israel from all our sins. No, we don't believe in a two-covenant theology. Two-covenant theology? What I mean is, the two-covenant theology is telling people that they can be saved in two ways. Saved in the way Israelites, Jewish people are saved, and the way Christians are saved. And Christians are saved by faith only in Jesus. And Jewish people are saved by believing in the God of Abraham. And they don't need Jesus. That's an error. This, there is no two-covenant theology. And that forgiveness is so precious you cannot lose it anymore. No, theologians like Finney believe that the Lord gives it, but that you can reject it again and that you can become unconverted again. You can lose your salvation. That's impossible. And yet God's people continue to ask for forgiveness. Why is that? Because the sin of God's people is forgiven. Past sin, future sin is forgiven. It's completely atoned for. So why then to continue with saying, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, if they have no guilt anymore? Well, it is a shame thing. And it's also that they have grieved the Holy Spirit. 
and wounded their own conscience. And that needs to be refreshed. And that's why the church is also, or continues to pray, forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debts. Heal our conscience. Don't take the Holy Spirit from me. Give me the joy of thy salvation. So forgiveness, the need for forgiveness, the purpose of forgiveness, and how to practice forgiveness. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. As we forgive our debtors. It does say as. It does not say because. It doesn't say forgive us our debts because we also forgive our debtors. Kind of forcing the Lord and letting the Lord follow my example. No, it is only a parallel line. Even as we feel this evidence of thy grace in us. So God's people can sometimes say, Lord, I mean it. I feel my sins to such an extent. I need forgiveness in, in such a way that the forgiveness of other people is futile compared to it. Well, let me word it in a different way. When the Lord shows who he is in his power and holiness and majesty, when we feel very small and when we are convicted of our sins, we feel unworthy of life, unworthy of hell. And we, we, we need to forgiveness of our sins so badly. That experience is completely different from daily life, that people have to forgive me, and that I have to forgive people. That is, that is so different, because we have sinned against the highest majesty of God. That's why we read in Matthew 6, For if ye forgive men that trespasses, your heavenly Father also will forgive you. But if you forgive not men that trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. That's how simple it is. So is there someone you cannot forgive? Yeah? Then you must have a hard time praying this, right? Something, something is not sitting right. If you have grace, you have that evidence in you that it is your firm resolution from the heart to forgive our neighbor. That's also clear from Matthew 18. Someone was guilty of 10,000 talents. 10,000 talents, that's wages of 20 years. That is absurd. That is millions and millions. And that man was pleading because he was going to be sold and his wife as well and he says, have patience with me. I don't trust that. I don't trust that. Patience? How can you pay it back? Such a huge amount of money. But he just said, be patient, be patient. I will pay it back. Nonsense. But yet, the person he owed to said, I forgive you all that. He had compassion with him for that huge amount of money. And then when he had forgiven it, when he was forgiven, he found someone of his fellow servants who also was in debt. And that debt was so much less. There was a 
couple of months wages. But he was hard-nosed, and he said, I want you to pay that. I want you to pay that. If not, I will get it my way. And his employer, I would say, his master, found out about how this servant was dealing with his fellow servant, and he got mad, and he had to pay himself now. It was so unreasonable that you received a, a huge forgiveness of the Lord, and you cannot forgive yourself. So I think what it comes down to is if you have someone you cannot forgive. Never forgive. Then you are not forgiven. Because if you would know what your forgiveness means, it would be easier to forgive someone else. And that does not mean that you have to trust that person. It does not mean that you have to be friends with the person. It does not mean that you have to reconcile with the person. It does not mean that you um, may not divorce the person. Maybe you may. This is adultery. Maybe it doesn't say that you cannot go to the police with it. Maybe you, you, I think maybe you can. But even if you go to the police, and if you're not, you're not friends, and you don't trust, you still have to forgive. Forgiving does not mean that you're back to friendship. Forgiveness means that you can let go. And you lay it all in the hands of God. That he takes revenge, that he is just, he is righteous, he will take care of it. And you have to let go. Because who are we? Who are you? So grace makes kind. Grace makes forgiving. And that's what you read. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And it's in Matthew 18, written in a very strong way. Let me show you. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your heart forgive not everyone his neighbor. The trespasses. So we need to forgive from the heart all of the persons we deal with. That is the evidence of God's grace. Even as we feel the evidence of that grace in us, that it is our firm resolution from the heart to forgive our neighbor. Forgiveness, you're going to end. Suppose you live in a country with capital punishment and you are condemned and on death row. You will, that, that day set, scheduled, you will receive a lethal injection or be hanged. And you're just so concerned, and you just, there's no legal way of getting out of it anymore. And the day rise, you feel so down. This is the day they will get me, and they will kill me. And the door is open, and someone tells you that you are free, because someone else takes your place. How would you feel? If you were absolutely convinced that this was, would be the day of your death, and you set free to forgive, be forgiven, to have your sins forgiven of the Almighty God. If you know something of that forgiveness, that makes a huge difference in how you deal with people. 
in the Christian church, in our society, we need to practice that. So if you have a difficulty with forgiving a certain person, I suggest that tonight you write a letter that you don't need to send. And you write in that letter how, you, how much hurt you feel. How much hurt you feel. And you may write it as detailed as you like. When you're done, you tear the paper in pieces. You say, and now let it go. I let it go now. Even if the person is not asking for forgiveness, even if the person is not confessing his sins, that doesn't matter. We have to forgive even if they are not forgiving, even if they don't admit it. If they don't admit it, that stands in the way of reconciliation, right? But it does not need to stand in the way of forgiveness. Which is the fifth petition? And forgive us our debts. As we forgive our debtors, that is, be pleased for the sake of Christ's blood, not to impute to our poor sinners our transgression, nor the depravity which always cleaves to us. It's also an interesting sentence, right? The depravity which always cleaves to us. Lord, do not impute it. It's true, I keep sinning, but Lord, keep forgiving it and give healing because there is that evidence of grace. Is it evidence of grace also in you? If not, repent ye of it. And maybe tonight that you have to decide to forgive and to let go. Then you can bow your knees and say, Lord, forgive us our debt as we forgive our debtors. Amen.